Welcome to the Teen Life Coach Podcast. I'm Coach Sammy, and I am so glad you are here. The teen years can be fun and exciting, but also filled with self-doubt, insecurities, and lots of frustration. I am here to help you along your teen journey and make sure you enjoy your teen years as much as possible. Let's get started. All right, you guys. Hey, welcome to the podcast today. Um, I was just chatting with the guests that we have today, and I am so excited for you guys to learn from her. She's got so many good things to teach you. And um, we have Sarah Fisk on the podcast today, and I'm going to call her the people-pleasing expert because she is all about teaching people how to not people please and just kind of how that affects their lives. And so Sarah, can you introduce yourself and even tell us how you got into coaching people on people pleasing? Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you. Um, first of all, I love you. I love you coached my daughter. You did such a fantastic job with her. So I'm just really pleased to be here with you talking about this. People pleasing for me is like a hundred percent autobiographical. I I'm 49. I'll be 50 this year. And about five years ago, I just had this sense of like stuckness, like so dependent on what other people thought of me, worrying about what they thought of me, worrying about who I had made mad, who was going to be mad at some future decision that I would make. And the overwhelm that I felt really just sent me into looking for it. Like I would not have identified as a people pleaser, because I could say no to things that I didn't want to do. But what I didn't realize is that often I was lying about my reasons for saying no, or I just had this sense of like fear of people asking me for things or doing things because I wouldn't be able to stick to my no if somebody was really persistent in asking or something. And so, but the people pleasing really just came about because I I felt it in my own life and I needed a solution and I really couldn't find a good one. And so you found a good one and you're teaching other people <laughs> how to how to not people please. And so I am really really happy you're here today because I see people pleasing in the teens that I work with. And I see the symptom of people pleasing, which is anxiety, right? I'm, I'm an anxiety coach. And so how do you define people pleasing? I define people pleasing as being overly connected to people outside of you and under connected to yourself. When you, when you define it, like overly connected to people outside of you and under connected to yourself, Okay. Ooh, I like that definition. That's totally not how I define it. What are the actions you end up doing when you are overly connected to people outside of you and then under connected to yourself? Okay. Great question. So you are worrying a lot about what other people think, what they will think about how your actions affect them, about what they will do in response. Like most of your thinking is about other people's responses and less of your thinking or no thinking is what do I think of this? How do I feel? What do I want? What would be good for me? What do I need? And so all of those questions, you're not asking about yourself, but you're asking about other people. 
Which is, I feel like we're taught to not ask about ourselves, like to think more about other people and not be selfish and empathize. So why do we do this? Like, why do we overly connect with other people without, and I'm going to use the word like respect. Can I use that word? Respecting our inward feelings and thoughts. Yeah. Like why do we do this? Actually a fascinating question because it goes back to infancy. When an infant is born, it is utterly dependent on the big people in its life. Caregivers come in all, you know, shapes and sizes, grandma, grandpa, father, mother, aunt, whoever. But a baby quickly learns that when I show some sign of distress, when I cry, somebody comes and hopefully takes care of me. And so from infancy, we learn that a behavior gets a response. And so as that child grows, we're children are highly, highly attuned to what elicits positive responses from their caregivers. A baby will, like if you take a baby and you smile and you're really big and you're, you know, big eyes and big smile, the baby often will smile back. And then when you smile again, it keeps smiling. And so this reward given is really important to survival because babies can't feed themselves, take care of themselves. And so very early that if I behave this way, I get a response or a reward is established. And then it just goes from there because then a child grows up and learns how to talk and caregivers are instructing it on what to do. This is what we do. This is what we don't do. So then rules are introduced and the child learns if I obey the rules, I get this reward. If I don't obey the rules, I get this consequence. And then it just, the the number of adults just multiplies because then you're going to school. Maybe you're in a religious organization where there are adults who are teaching and in charge of younger children. Maybe you interact with extended family members and they have other rules and expectations of you. And so the life, the survival of a child is literally dependent on acting in a way that will get reward because the rewards are not just, you know, food, shelter, like survival things, but love, connection, friendship, belonging, community. And those are essential for survival. You can't go without them. And so that's how it all happens. And it's built into our our survival system. And so what I like to say is that people pleasing isn't bad. It's not good to not people please and bad to people please. It's only that we are never taught how to use people pleasing in a way that also benefits us. That totally, totally makes sense. So the problem I see is when people pleasing, which isn't a bad thing, right? People pleasing isn't a bad thing, but the problem develops when people pleasing goes against your inner self. Yeah. What you need, what you want, what is good for you. The cost is too high. Right. That's how I like to think about it is, is what is the cost of this people pleasing and how high is it? And like you said, does it violate? What do I want? What do I need? What is good for me? What would benefit me? So how does one make that change? Because I feel like in society, we're taught to sacrifice especially women, right? 
we are taught to, to sacrifice and it doesn't matter. And I'm going to put this in quotes, but like, it doesn't matter what it does to us as long as it's good for other people. Right. And that is kind of a, a cultural idea, you know, that's patriarchy. That's, that's it's, and it's taught in a lot of families and cultures and religious groups and communities that this self-sacrifice is somehow better than not sacrificing. And I just want to challenge that idea because if you are constantly giving and giving and giving and giving, eventually your body will say no. And it will not, it might not say no in a way that you understand, but you'll be stressed. You'll have, you'll have high levels of anxiety. Like that's your body saying no and you not listening. And so it manifests as like symptoms, depression, anxiety, hypervigilance, which is where you're less like constantly watching for someone to be upset with you or something to go wrong because you think if I don't like keep an eye on everybody, somebody's going to be mad and I'm going to have to do something about it. So it manifests as symptoms in your body. Yeah, exactly. And I see that a lot with the teens that I work with where, you know, they're kind of like, well, it's not bad to make people happy or if that's like who I am, that's my personality to like help others or just always be there for a friend. But they don't realize that those actions are connected to why they don't feel good. And so you guys, if you are noticing that you don't feel good or kind of can't figure out why you don't feel good, maybe it is the people pleasing in you. And, and like Sarah said, people pleasing, isn't a bad thing. I kind of say it like this, like I would much rather disappoint somebody else than, than disappoint myself. And that's kind of how I decide, you know, am I people pleasing or am I not people pleasing? Like, if I'm not going to disappoint myself and make the same decision, then yeah, for sure. Not a problem, but you feel it physically and internally where you just kind of feel like, Ooh, it's, it's a little bit yucky. Yeah. Another term for that yucky is self-abandonment. I love that term. I, I have not heard it before, but it's such a good term. Yeah. It's so descriptive and I didn't make it up. It's in, you know, reading and things that I've done, but when you abandon yourself, that produces a disconnection from yourself. And so that disconnection, if you do that over and over and over and over again, you really lose the ability to know what do I want? What would be good for me here? And so in the beginning, a lot of the teams that you work with, when you ask them the question, well, what do you want? They're not going to know the answer. And that's totally normal. It doesn't mean anything that has gone wrong, gone wrong necessarily. It just means that that disconnection has existed for long enough that you need to reconnect. And so let me just say something really quickly about relationships, because sometimes we set our conversation up like it's either me or them. Like I have to either choose me and not choose them or choose them and not choose me. And it's actually not a binary. It's not either or. So healthy relationships are responsive and reciprocal. Those are two R words for you there. And I'm going to want to explain both because I think it'll be helpful. So responsive, let's say you and I are friends. A healthy friendship means I respond to your pain, to your, to your needs. And I, um, and when I respond, you feel taken care of, and then you respond to my needs, but notice it's back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. 
And so sometimes teens get in relationships that are not responsive and reciprocal. It's one person doing all of the responding, all of the sacrificing, and the other person not being there for the for the the one who's doing all the work. And so the first thing I would suggest that teens do is just do a little relationship evaluation. Like of all of my friends, who are the ones that I have this like responsive and reciprocal relationship with where I want to do nice things for them. I want to show them that I love them and that their friendship is important to me in these particular ways. And they also do that for me because it's very common for someone who feels like I'm a character. I take care of people. That's just what I do. I make people happy. Those type of people are magnets for people who don't put in the work, people who just want to be taken care of. Yes. So the first thing I would suggest is just think for a second. Do I have responsive, reciprocal relationships with all of these people? And if it's not, then there might be something to take a look at there because it's not ever going to be reciprocal and responsive unless you do something about it. It's not going to change on its own. And you might decide, I'd like to put more time and energy into these relationships that really do feed me as well. Right. Exactly. I feel like that's all we could do a whole podcast on teen relationships because what you just just described is so many teens relationships. Oh, that's so good. But I love the tip you just put in there because that's really important, especially for relationships. If you find that you're like doing always being the doer and never the like receiver. Yeah. You're totally going to get burnt out. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes our brains think, oh, I've, I've done five things for this person and they haven't responded. I'll just do five more. I'll just keep trying and trying and trying and trying. And so that causes a lot of anxieties. Like I just, I just want to be liked and want to be chosen. And since this hasn't worked, I'm just going to turn the dial up and do more. And then that will surely get me what I want. And in terms of like self-abandonment, the cost of that is so high. And so when we're talking about like, how do I, how do I evaluate the people pleasing and roll it back in the areas where I find this isn't really serving me here. I keep extending myself. I keep doing things. I keep reaching out. I keep being there and I'm really not getting much in return. Then that would be a great relationship to turn the dial down on and just do less and less and less, or maybe just end the relationship completely. I know that that is a really hard skill for teens. And that's why they have you as a coach to help them walk through like how to end or turn the dial down on a relationship that's not working. But if it's something that they want to keep working on, then what I coach my clients through is number one, you have to really understand what it is costing you to be constantly self-abandoning. It's a lot of time. For teenagers out there, just think on an average day, how many hours is your brain worrying about other people, what they will do, what they think of you. For a lot of the grown women that I work with, it's three to five hours a day. I think for teens, it might be even more because they're at school for 
most of the day, especially if you're doing extracurricular activities and you're around those people. But I really want to give the teens some specific examples of what that looks like in their life. Because here we have this concept, which is super great, but then it's like, what are we doing in our own lives that, oh yes, this concept, I'm doing this when I do this or when I do that, or when I say this. And I know you have teens and you, you've raised lots of kids. (laughs) Five, five. Yep. Yep. That's a lot. (laughs) That's amazing. You're an amazing mom, but what, what specific things can teens look for in their lives where they're like, oh, I am self-abandoning here. So a big one is not asking for what you want or need. Sometimes like I'll, I'll run into this with my son. And I'll say, Hey, are, are you hungry? He's like, yeah, but it's okay. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. It's, it's fine. It's fine. Like that. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. That's a big clue that like, you're trying to make something okay. That's not really okay. Just because you're worried that it's going to have a negative effect on like for him, for some reason, he doesn't want to trouble me with making him some food. And that's not necessarily a problem, but it's the, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. No, it's not a big deal. So minimizing not being able to ask for what you need or want. Lying is a big one. Not because I think lying is necessarily always bad, but when you can't tell the truth about your situation, I don't want to do that. I'm tired. I don't, you know, I'm not up to it. Or yes, I I do really want to do that. Or I can't express what's really going on for myself. That's a big one. When they're really hyper vigilant about disappointing people and kind of the whole goal just becomes, I cannot be a disappointment. I cannot disappoint other people. Right. Especially parents. I see that a lot for teens is like, I, I can't disappoint my parents. Yeah. Another thing is, and this, this is becoming like just huge is that they don't take care of themselves. Like basic care, getting adequate sleep, adequate, you know, nutritional, you know, balance and exercise like they, and, but those are some ways we take care of ourselves, but like, I take care of myself by reading a book, by doing things that are just for me. Those things often get labeled as selfish. And so when they can't really take care and take time for themselves, that's another one. Yeah. And I feel like those things are like sometimes, you know, viewed as non-productive. Like when you take care of yourself, you're not being productive. We have such a fixation with productivity and efficiency. It it really undermines our ability to take care of ourselves. Okay. Those are really great examples. I, um, I work with a lot of teens and they'll, they'll be in relationships or even friendships where the, they won't, want to break up with the other person because they are afraid of like hurting their feelings. Or one of the things I see a lot too, with the clients I work with is being worried about other people's emotions. Like when you don't respond to a text right away, or when you don't say the right thing, or, you know, just trying to almost be like perfect for everybody around you. And so it's, it's kind of like that self-abandonment where nobody's perfect. Right. But when you self-abandon, you don't accept who you are. And you make yourself responsible for other people's emotions. And that's, that's just not our job. That's, that's why I really love the word responsive is because 
I can be responsive to you without taking responsibility for your emotions. Yeah. And an inability to do that where they're always making themselves responsible and trying to fix it and not trying to disappoint other people. That's, that's a problem. Yeah. And I think so many teens think they are responsible for other people's emotions. Well, and even I do, like I'm, I'm talking to the teens, like I'm not one, but I kind of am one (laughs) in in a 40 year old body. (laughs) But what are some ways, and I think this is a really hard transition to make, to be like more respectful of what your needs are and not abandon yourself consistently to make other people happy or to make other people a certain way around you. So what do we do? The first thing is to really understand the cost. We talked a little bit about time, yeah, energy, effort, brain space. Like there's just tons of resources going to people pleasing. Like think about the time, the space in your brain, your energy. That's a lot. And so number two would be to just choose one situation. Sometimes when we see people pleasing, we see it everywhere and it can feel overwhelming. Just choosing one, maybe there's one particular friend that you really want to work on being able to tolerate disappointing them. And what I mean by that is it's actually, this this, this is kind of the paradox is that people pleasing can feel bad, not people pleasing can also feel bad. So we have to be able to pick the bad that actually helps us and moves us forward. You know, I bet a lot of the teams that listen to you, they play sports or they do other things that require hard physical, you know, workout, or they play an instrument that requires practice. A lot of times the practicing isn't fun and it's the same thing, but you tolerate the practicing because you know, eventually it's going to enable you to perform, to run, to excel and succeed at whatever it is you're trying to do. So the type of practicing that I recommend is just in one relationship and understanding that it's not going to feel great. So if you have a friend who you are afraid to disappoint, think of one small way that you could disappoint them and that you're okay with it And you're willing to feel the discomfort of disappointing them and try it out. Yeah. So so uncomfortable. (laughs) And that's, that's the thing that, that I think we just really need to focus on is that it's not going to feel good now, but later when you haven't self-abandoned, let's say that someone wants you to go do an activity with them that you don't want to do. That's a pretty common one. And you decide, okay, I am going to tell them that I don't want to go to that activity. So it's the initial discomfort of like, I I don't really want to go, or it's not something that works for me this week. Um, Thank you for thinking of me, but I'm not going to be able to go. That initial discomfort might feel high, but then think about the after when you have that time to do what you want with, you're not at the activity, anxious, wishing you could go home. Sorry, you said no, counting the minutes down until you can leave. That's that's uncomfortable. So the cost of saying no or not people pleasing is some discomfort, but the reward is I now have that time to do something else with. So just choose one small situation to start with. Don't try to tackle it all at once. 
Yeah. And I also think like a lot of times we have that perceived disappointment, like we are going to disappoint them. And it's in, it's a perception where we are like, our brains are so used to thinking we're going to disappoint them. That's a fact that's going to happen. When in, in reality, it's like, we don't even know if we're going to disappoint them. Maybe they're inviting us because they feel like they have to invite us first before they ask anybody else. Right. So true. We don't even really know if that's the actual thing that's going to happen. So good. Right. Yeah. And so we, it's just almost like we have to get over that a little bit too, where we're just so ingrained to believing that when we don't do a certain thing or act a certain way that we're going to disappoint somebody when in reality, we don't always disappoint people. True. True. So after you choose like one specific thing, the next step is to really have your own back about it. And here's what I mean by that. If you make a decision to the best of your ability, it's the best decision you know how to make, which is all the time. We're always doing that, whether or not we're aware of it. Be really kind and gentle to yourself. Like, oh, this feels really uncomfortable. I'm really afraid she's going to be disappointed, but I'd rather disappoint her than disappoint myself because I feel like that's my growth or what's best for me. And just be really kind. No beating yourself up at all, ever, for the ways in which you're trying to be a better person for yourself, the ways that you're trying to learn to not self-abandon. Because when you self-abandon, that's one thing. But then when you beat yourself up, what that literally means is you have nowhere that is loving and safe because you are with you all the time. It's like you're living with a bully all the time if you're doing that to yourself. So it's really, really important to not, it to just cut it off. And I always give my clients like two different ways to cut off that bullying. Number one, I just call it the hard pass. No, when that bullying behavior starts up, what's the matter with you? Why did you do that? What's wrong with you? You all know. I actually, for a long time, I said it out loud. No. No, 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 no. I will not speak to myself that way. No, no, it's not happening. And then get up and move, like move to another room, move your body, shake your arms, drop your shoulders, do something because that movement helps your nervous system reset. The second way is to give yourself a hug and just say, I know we, we've been doing this a long time or we, that bully, yeah, oh, there it is again, but we're not going to do this. It's okay. Let's go to another room and to lovingly engage with it. But notice you end up in the same place both ways. It's a no. You do not allow yourself to to beat yourself up. How would all of us feel differently if we didn't allow ourselves to beat ourselves up? It is. I mean, if I could just sit down with every teen that you talk with and just say, that's the one, that's magic. If you can have your own back, then what that means is, let's say that you do disappoint someone and they come back to you and they say, I'm really disappointed in you and you care about them. Then all you have to do is feel the disappointment. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to disappoint you. I love you. I Or you're a good friend to me or I, you're a re- our relationship is important. And you only have to feel the disappointment and you don't have to pile on with all of the judging and criticizing and just beating ourselves up that we do. It'll change your life if you can learn that one skill. I wish I had this when I was younger. I know. Me too. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) 
Yes. Any, um, any last things for the teens? What, well, I love to ask my guests, like what, if you could go back and talk to your teen version of yourself, what advice would you give teen version of Sarah? Oh, good man. Teen version of Sarah was, was really anxious, like constantly worried about disappointing other people. And I would teach her this essential skill of like not beating herself up. I just was ruthless and relentless in beating myself up. And, um, I just thought it was normal. I just thought everybody did it. I thought it was just a normal part of the way it's supposed to work. Yeah. If you, if you mess up, you're supposed to not only just feel bad because you messed up, but then like terrorize yourself. And then that means you won't do it again. And it never works. That's just not how it works. And so I would, I would give her the biggest hug and I would just say, it's totally fine. Like, yeah, you're going to disappoint a lot of people and just own it and feel the disappointment and stop it before it becomes self-punishment because that just causes a cycle of bigger and bigger and bigger punishment. And that means you actually, this, here's what's so interesting about that is if I've disappointed, you know, my mom, let's say, and I, um, I feel bad about that, but then I go off into self-punishing, then I'm just stuck in a bunch of self-punishing that doesn't actually ever help the relationship with my mom. And so if I could have helped her understand that I, yeah, that would have been amazing. Oh, I kind of have tears for teen version of Sarah. (laughs) I I wish you were there to tell me that when I was a teen too. (laughs) Beautiful thing. I mean, like I said, I'll be 50 this year. My life is completely different since I learned to do that for myself. And since I really, really put time and effort into it. So it doesn't matter if you're 14, if you're 64, whenever you start, it'll make a huge difference. I love everything that you have said today. So useful, so helpful. Thank you so much for being here. And then you guys, the one thing she wants you to work on this week is to just change one little relationship, right? And just work on letting that person be a little bit disappointed. Yep. Okay. All right, you guys. And I know that's so, so hard, but just trust us. See if you can do it. All right, Sarah, where can the teens or the parents that are listening find out about your work? I know you have a podcast that is amazing. So tell us where they can go. I have a podcast called the X good girl podcast. You can find it on any of the major podcast platforms. I'm on social media, Instagram, um, TikTok, and Facebook, Sarah Fisk, F as in fun, I S K coach or Sarah Fisk coaching S A R A. Awesome. All right, you guys go check her out. Thank you so much, Sarah. Appreciate you being here today. It was so fun. Thank you for having me. Hey guys. Do you want more? If you are ready to work with me in one of my coaching programs for teens, check out my website, knowingup.com. That's K-N-O-W-I-N-G-U-P.com. Whatever you are struggling with, whether big or small, I can help. We learn so much more in my programs than what is offered here on the podcast. Come join me, you guys. See you soon.